Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. I'm Ben Halpern, and I'll be hosting today's episode of the show. I chatted with Juan Baritica, who is the Vice President of Engineering at Ride, which is a ride-sharing startup based out of New York City. We chatted about the microservices architecture he and his team have implemented, as well as how Ride functions as a distributed engineering team. Many of Ride's engineers live in Colombia, but as Juan describes, have the same talent and hunger as engineers stateside. We also discussed Juan's journey to the U.S., how he learned to code, and how he got so involved in the software community. I really enjoyed today's conversation, and I hope you do too. If you have any comments or feedback, you can let me know on the SE Daily Slack channel. Juan Baritica is the VP of Engineering at Ride, where he designed their microservices architecture. He has specialized in client and server-side JavaScript for most of his career before taking on this role. He leads a team that uses a variety of languages and frameworks to get the job done. Juan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Good, good. I'm uh, glad to have you here. Um, first of all, uh, tell our listeners who don't know about Ride what it is, what it offers. Okay. Um, well, thank you very much for hosting me, first of all. Um, Ride is a, it's a very simple idea, um, trying to tackle a very hard problem. Um, you know, we're in the age of ride sharing and uh, all these companies that are trying to tackle the, the taxi industry or like how people transport themselves. And um, it comes down to an optimization problem, right? We have all these vehicles in the road. Uh, people generally in, in the United States were driving themselves to work. Um, and there's an opportunity to reduce the amount of cars and, and, and sort of have an impact in the environment and, and help people get to where they need to be uh, by, by truly ride-sharing, right? Um, our, our objective is to get people to carpool more. And um, we're building a platform and a marketplace that, that aims to help people do that, uh, to actually share the costs of their community. So very much a real-world optimization solution you're trying to go after. Absolutely. So it's all about optimization. Very good problem to solve with, uh, with programming, with, some, with data science, I'm sure. How long has Ride uh, been around? So Ride is an interesting company because it's, it's a spinoff of an of a older company. Um, oh. Ride comes from B-Ride. Um, B-Ride is a company that did or th- that has been doing uh, van pooling for about 30 years in the United States. Um, and it owns a, a, a large part of the van pooling business in the United States. What, what, what I mean by van pooling is um, businesses can get, in some cases, uh, subsidies from state or local um, agencies or even without, without uh, subsidies, and, and, and they promote their employees' transportation. So they basically hire V-Ride for us to give them a van, and we do the, the whole coordination, the whole logistics of here's a 12-person van, here's who's going to drive it, here's where you're going to meet, here's, and, and it's been doing it for 30 years. So it, it was originally a very uh, manual business. Yeah. Um, uh, a few years ago, it was bought... Uh, by by a, a firm, a private equity firm called TPG, and uh, our new CEO, who uh, is a computer science a computer scientist, and she had worked in the in the automotive industry, saw how not only 
this problem was a, was a great problem to solve, but it could also be optimized, right? So Absolutely. The, the, the limitation that VRide had was it needed to own these vans. So mm-hmm. managing, I don't know how many thousands of vans uh, requires a lot of logistics, but there's already people who, who own these on their own cars. So why don't we use that excess capacity and, and try to move people around? That's where the idea comes from. Um, she hired um, a guy called Oscar Salazar, who uh, was a founding CTO at Uber. And um, he mentioned the... So, so he had worked in, in similar problems a lot. And they prototyped a little bit of, of, of what this has this had been uh, very early on, they, they came out with a prototype. They, they presented it at, at different companies in the United States. And then the actual idea of Ride was born. Um, I joined the company, it's going to be almost two years. Um, and we spun off of V Ride. So we're an independent company now. We operate as a startup. Uh, we're, 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 we have the same owners. Mm-hmm. And We've been trying to crack this very, very, very hard problem um, over the past few years. Things things are, are, are going quite well. So the arrangement is that you're a startup with a similar arrangement as if this parent company had originally invested in you. So they own a stake in the company, but you're operating independently? That's correct. We're, yes. Um, uh, how many employees were there when you joined? So the Ride Project had five employees. Uh-huh. Um, there were one in operations, one in product. Um, Oscar was, was handling uh, sort of technology and mm-hmm. the product leadership. And uh, two engineers. Um, interesting. So how much of the engineering did you do when you first joined? So when I first joined, the, the initial objective was to analyze where we needed to go next. Um I did a lot of the original architecture. So what 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 the original company had was was a, a small prototype in a, in a Rails app mm-hmm. uh, that was used as a proof of concept. Then uh, after meeting with CEO and, and, and uh, chief product officer, we concluded that we needed we wanted to land, to launch this at a larger scale. Yep. So. Um, I went over the existing project. I saw what things we could reuse or we could reuse and then came up with the actual architecture that, that we're still using today. Um, so I, um, in conjunction with a couple of the first engineers who I hired, wrote and designed the, the, the entire stack uh, that we're using today. Interesting. When you came on, were there uh, native clients already in use or was it purely uh, like a server and web Rails app? There was a server and Rails web app. Uh, there was a, a Node.js system behind it, a matching system. So Ride, Ride tries to, to find people who are, to, to match you to people who live in your same vicinity and who work in your same neighborhood. So, so like where you, where you work. So, so it's, it started as a clustering algorithm problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that matching system was written in Node. Um, it isn't anymore. It was probably a, a bad choice of, of technology um, originally, just a, a, a bad use case. Um, so that's the only thing that we really sort of moved away. Then, um, so I, to answer your question at that moment, it was only uh, uh, the Rails app with that small service behind. 
interesting. Um, you told me, I mean, you, uh, you built this as a microservice architecture with a variety of different uh, technologies needed. Uh, why, at a more in-depth level, did you need to use the specific technologies you used? You told me uh, before the show that you used Go, Elixir, Ruby, Objective-C, Android, Android Java, Ember, and, and Node.js. Um, which elements of the service required the the service breakout like most severely? Sure. Um, so this is all those technologies are are the ones we use today. Uh, it's, it's been an evolution. I think the the first challenge that I had is us as the technology leader in in Ride was getting us to market. Mm-hmm. Right, because as much as we had a prototype, it wasn't something that we could put to test to real customers in the enterprise. Like when you have enterprise level software requirements, um, you need something that's going to be robust, especially when you're going to have to handle like uh, private information and all that stuff. So, um, the original objective was to to replicate the prototypes in a in a scalable manner. Um, the fastest way for me to do that was to have more people working sim- simultaneously yeah. in it. So uh, we broke out the, the, the system into these services. Um, I think some things in, in, in the, the, the system has evolved in, in absorbing some of these things uh, into a main app. Um, but originally, it, it, it made us really, really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, hiring wasn't uh, an obstacle for us. Uh, yep. uh, we, I think in October of... 2014, which is when I started, um, we had already grown to 12 engineers. So in the first three months, I had hired 12 engineers, and mm. that meant that we could move really, really quickly. So the the original system design was a, a central API um, that uses the JSON API spec. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more mature now, not at the time. Um, it had uh, a billing system. A matching system, which is this sort of uh, yeah matchmaking thing behind, and it had a communication layer and a routing component as well. Uh, so when you're on trips and that sort of stuff, and then in front it it had two clients, um, which it, they're, they're still they're still in the market. We're we're working on on, on our new app at the moment, uh, but there's the web app, which was written com- completely in Ember, and then the iOS app. So mm-hmm. all these pieces had to be worked on at the same time. Uh, we had our, our launch date stated for April fifteenth uh, of last year. So we had to we had to sort of move quite fast. Um, that was the what primarily determined the choices we made. So. How much of the technology choices were strictly made by you and the current team versus uh, certain choices made by like incoming employees? Like how free were they to to use some of the the products and services they they were familiar with or wanted to give it take a chance on? So that's that's a great question because it it goes into a lot of sort of the management philosophy we have at Bright. Um, originally, the the actual architecture. Um, was drawn mostly by me. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the determination of having a, an API using this spec and then the client, the, the web client was going to use Ember uh, and that sort of stuff 
uh, was drafted by me. Um, and when was this? How many years ago? This was, so if I joined right in June of 2014, I think we had the earlier draft of the architecture by October, right before the large majority of the team joined. Mm -hmm. um, it was, so, so I, I, I believe in not doing architecture or like design by committee. Yeah. Um, so, so there was sort of a guideline of how the system should interact with each other. With, with the, the, the parts of the system had to interact with each other. But then um, I also believe that the people who have the context need to make the decisions around how to make that happen. So as much as there was a draft, there's going to be an API and that sort of stuff. Uh, we had a great experience in Rails. Yep. That's why we chose Rails and, and not other uh, something else. Uh, and there was also some good background work in the, in the JSON API uh, serializers. Um, that was the only determination that, that I made in Ember. Uh, the rest of the technologies, uh, we use a process at write, which is very common in the open source world, which is RFC. Mm -hmm. And all the major... Can you describe that for the listeners? Yes. yes. Um, all the major technical decisions that happen at write are done via an RFC. An RFC stands for... A request for comments, and it's it's a, a, a proposal on how a part of the system is going to be implemented. So let's say, for example, when we're going to implement how uh, payments are going to be exchanged between users, and we, we take the original product requirements that are usually stuck by the product team, and we draft, uh, it's a, I think it's a seven-step proposal that goes into like, what are the objectives of this system? What is it aiming to accomplish? How are you proposing to implement it? What other considerations you had when you were going to implement it? Um, what other alternatives? Uh, what are the risks of this implementation? And ultimately it comes, the, the way we do it at Ride is, if you are responsible for a system, um, mm -hmm. or sort of the maintainer of that system, you, you have full freedom of making those decisions. Uh, the reason why you have to do it with an RFC is for two for two things. The first one is you're also responsible in sharing that knowledge to your team, to the entire organization. Um, and you're also giving visibility and an opportunity to anyone else on the team who may have had an opportunity to work in similar systems or expertise in, in, in solving similar problems to give their input there. Um, mm -hmm. So what we've prevented is sort of the argument like, oh, you should have asked me, I've done this before, yeah. or like, why did you choose React when we have all of these other things in Ember, that sort of stuff. I don't, I, I, today, I don't mess a lot with actual uh, hardcore technical yeah. decisions um, because this system works really, really well. I, I've, I've, I only get involved if I see a risk to the business. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to be able to recruit. There's probably... Uh, challenges that are going to limit our scalability that sort of stuff is when i when i comment but other than that we've, we've become a very self-sufficient team to make those technical decisions that's that's how the majority of our architecture has, has evolved uh interesting um what sort of issues and bottlenecks uh come about with the architecture you chose i'm sure it's working really well for you but um i have to think that there's some sort of inherent issues with the bottlenecks, perhaps the HTTP bottleneck of microservices. Uh, what kind of 
what kind of problems have you run into and how have you solved them or at least dealt with them? I think the biggest uh, bottleneck we've found so far is more around understanding the responsibilities of, of, of where the systems end and uh-huh. start. Um, I think we haven't reached a, a volume that we're limit. I think we're the, the, the ability to sort of build on top of services allows us to scale horizontally very, yeah. very quickly. Um, and we haven't reached sort of like a performance spot on that, which is like, Oh, mm-hmm. this is, this is challenging. But, um, the, the biggest challenge is keeping the entire team in sync as far as how all pieces work together and, and sort of keeping our documentation in there and, and sort of like that kind of things up to date. The, the, the biggest, biggest challenge I think we have today is testing the system as a whole yeah, uh, or bringing up an environment of the entire system as a whole because we haven't dedicated a lot of time uh, to it. Um, so if you if, if you have a, a new engineer joining our team, the onboarding of the entire of getting the entire stack in their machine is a little painful. Um, we use something that's called Boxing. It's a uh-huh. project by GitHub. I think it uses Puppet behind the scenes uh, to provision machines, and it takes we, we can have an entire system running up in, in, in a day. But then, if you want to point a client to that system, that's a little challenging. That, that's that's stuff that we're we're starting to to focus a little bit more. How much of the onboarding process is about um, getting them indoctrinated into the technical system versus getting new hires up to speed about the protocols and the and the message passing between teams and communication? So we're a highly distributed team. Uh, by highly mm-hmm. distributed team, I mean. There's two engineers in New York. There's six engineers in Medellin, Colombia. There's two in Bogota, Colombia. There's three in Brazil. There's two in Argentina. There's one in California and one in Austin. So we're hugely distributed. Uh, so what went into the decision to be dis- so distributed? Uh, mainly, we chose to hire great people wherever they were mm-hmm. and the only limitation was time zone yep um and i, I think i have a, a a good network of of existing engineers in latin america yeah which that's... is a market that is not looked into at all by any company so yeah um the decision was should i try to fight with companies in new york and salaries in new york where we don't even have a brand or a a, a company figured out yet yeah or can i convince these people who are super talented uh angry for hungry for yeah. a for a for a challenge um to work with us and that worked really well now that seems like a a great opportunity for the business to to really be able to uh leverage some talent concerns that are consistent among in new york and san francisco and it's it's a real it's a real issue but it's not a global issue there's there is there is uh, there is talent, and it's a matter of sourcing it. And that seems like a really well architected system. It worked really, really well. So, so, so going back to your onboarding question, though, that's that, that yeah. is a huge challenge, right? Um, with any system, whether it's an organization or a biological system or or an information system, communication is always going to be a challenge. And where how pieces of the system 
communicate uh, will have a direct impact on how effective or efficient that organism or that organization is. Uh, so onboarding emphasizes a lot into how we communicate um, and how we work mm-hmm. rather than the actual systems and the, tech, the technical parts of that stuff. Um, with our first version, we did a really great job at documenting um, a lot of the of the pieces. I think now we're catching up with the with the, with the newer version of it, uh, which is uh, upcoming. Um, so, to conclude the answer to your question, I think we focus more on the culture of how we work at Ride. Um, we make sure that we understand what the values or that our new engineers understand what the values of working at right means, which is we believe that software that has no tests or no documentation mm-hmm. is broken by mm-hmm. default. Yep. Uh, we believe that we'll use the right tool for the job um, instead of trying to fit the a tool towards every problem. Um, and we communicate with respect and, and empathy. So, that's that's sort of the the core values, and then on, on top of that, we've been able to to move very 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 fast. Um, we measure um, or we try to measure something we call the, the time to first commit uh-huh. to to see how long it takes a, a new engineer to actually make a productive contribution, and hopefully we'll be able to as we grow optimize and understand how how that works. Uh, that's that's wonderful. With such a distributed team, are there any security issues that aren't faced by teams that all exist within the same building? Um, or is that more of a, uh, a technical concern that doesn't really pose a special challenge? Um, so I think it, it, it definitely means that you should that, that you have to think about security in a different manner. You, you're basically trying to give access to a lot of people to a system uh, who may not necessarily have the same entry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we take our, our security very seriously and we've enforced a lot of sort of like the, the standard two-factor auth for yep. many things, encryption and many things around that. But I think the, the biggest thing we've emphasized a lot on is being responsible. That security is everyone's responsible, right? So, yep. so there, there's not... There's not such a thing like me, Juan Pablo, is the one who is responsible for making sure that everyone has their stuff in order. But we, we have sort of this committee that reviews, uh, or we, we call it ministers. We have the minister of security who makes sure that everyone on GitHub has two-factor auth enabled and uh, that happens in Heroku and that happens in all those things. I think we've it, when you're a distributed team, it means that responsibilities should also be distributed. Um, it makes oversight harder, mm-hmm. of course, um, but it also, you can go two ways. You either have a heightened sense of belonging and responsibility for security, or um, it lowers. And I think at this moment, um, we've done a pretty good job Um uh, but it's it's definitely harder to control mm-hmm. because of the nature of of how security works, right? 
when, once you have more entry points or yep. more access, then you're just weakening your system in order to, to, to allow that access. So, uh, that's very interesting. Um, have you faced any challenges at Ride to this date um, in the business perspective in terms of features that have had forced you to shift uh, shift gears in terms of the direction at all, um, had to pivot the general framework in any way because of like a challenge that the business faced? Yes. Um, we're actually at the moment of, of, of working on on a new interesting version of the product, um, which, so I, I think this happens to every company. Yeah. Um, as a business, you know, I think what we believe uh, the, the responsibility of the technology organization or, or our tech team, whether it's engineering product or uh, data science is we, we have to be an organization that delivers business value to the company. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we put technology towards in service of, of, of the business. And this means that sometimes we have to, to make sacrifices or uh, balance the, the needs from our team, the, the technology team with what the business actually needs. Yep. Um, so there's two types or there's actually three types of, of work and how we, where, how we break down that work. There's, the regular feature work, which yep. is um, the normal, we're trying, this is how we think the product should evolve, and these are all the cool things that we should add. And there's the support cycle, which is constant work that comes up uh, every day without planning, whether it's, oh, we need a new marketing campaign, or we need, we had a like uh, emergency, or a customer wants to change their email, that, that sort of stuff. And then you have the maintenance cycle, right? Maintenance cycle is, is mostly sort of like a permanent constant um, tasks that you need to do in order to, to guarantee that your systems and your organization is going to be able to, to function. And what we've done is we've set up backlogs for each of these mm-hmm. sort of works, or kinds of work. And... Um, that's how we've managed change. A lot of the change that is planned. Um, so if we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we thought that our app needed to do geolocation, but now it doesn't, and we're, we, yeah. instead of doing geolocation, we're going to do uh, we're going to track you around the route or whatever. I'm just coming up with random yeah. stuff. Um, then it it won't really affect how our our team has been working because we try to have the product team or the product definition an entire cycle ahead of where the technology team is working mm-hmm. on. Um, so that's 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 how we try to balance that, right? The, 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 Can you elaborate on that point um, about the uh, about the cycle and um, and the the scheduling of all those things? Sure. Um, so. One of the things that, that Steve, Steve is the director of product, and I uh, have always tried to do, even when we, when we worked outside of Ride, was getting to a point where day-to-day feature work is unaffected mm-hmm. by external factors. That's yeah. sort of like how we become the fastest. So yeah. um, the way we achieve that is by 
running sort of like running ahead of the entire team mm-hmm. um, so we can get a lot of this work figured out and then start having it off yeah. sort of like more of the what is the app or what is our system uh, what does our system have to do not how but more like what our yep. objectives are and um, what we've done is we've set up sort of a quarterly cycle where we sit down as, as, a, as a leadership team with our CEO and uh, or, or just like the, the leader, the leadership of the, of the organization. And we come up with what, with our strategy for the quarter. Yep. Uh, what are the things that we really, really have to get done? Um, then there, we go into a, a process of, of product definition where I represent engineering. Sometimes uh, engineers come uh, and, and have a, a voice or, 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 or sort of like a, are um, are are included in certain specific discussions on how we're going to achieve some things, and then once these are these things are, are sort of like we have the user stories, we have the the the, the objectives very very clear. Uh, we go into the actual production of, of the of the product, which is uh, by that time, uh, you know, what we do at Ride is this: if the strategy is set, yeah. The only thing that the technology team is working on is that, yeah. and we will not change course until or unless the leadership team meet later. I think we the leadership team meets uh, once a month. Um, whether we de- we determine that this actually is a change of strategy, and we actually have to do it. So we tr- we try really really hard not to do really abrupt changes. Yeah. Because then that demoralizes and that just has a, a terrible impact in the business. Um, and we protect that feature cycle with the support rotation. Um, so there's always about 20% of the engineering team in a, in a support uh, role, which means they're either uh, handling sometimes user emails, changing addresses, or the system mm-hmm. went down, and th- that sort of stuff, so that the entire, the, the rest of the team that's working on features yep. doesn't sort of have that, that sort of interruption when they're going to really deep problem solving. And does this role change? Uh, does it change who's doing this and does it mix up depending on what the what's important for the company at the time? How does that, how do those decisions get made? For the support rotation? Yeah. That's something I've been playing around for about three years. Uh-huh. Uh, mostly from the frustration of me being interrupted by yeah. the work. Um, and it's evolved. I think originally at Ride, we started with, it was a two-week rotation of four people. Um, but then that would leave a lot of teams. So, so when you had two of the iOS engineers and then the work was interrupted and we weren't really organized and planning. Um, so it changes now today, it's a weekly rotation. It's fixed, so you know that every I think it's every six or seven weeks you're going to be in that rotation again. Mm-hmm. So that gives you time to plan. Um, we as engineers, we're not always that organized to yep. plan. Like, oh, I'm going to have, but in, in in many cases, we're able to foresee when someone from a critical team is going to be in, in support, and sometimes. Uh, we either uh, exchange it, like let's say for example the the Android team is a little bit behind, so we 
move a we move an engineer who, who, who may be available um, in cover for each other. Yep. So so that's it's it's more like protecting everyone um, on the on the sort of like the feature flow, and it's it's worked really well. There's definitely sometimes unexpected rotations where like oh my god the entire API team is going to go into supporting who else yep. is going to work on that. Well, we we sort of react. We've we've learned a lot to look in advance what's going to happen. So now when we have our our we're doing a bi week no bi weekly twice a week every other so bi monthly. Um, I think bi weekly actually means every two weeks or twice a week. It's actually if it's I so if weird. I if I remember <laughs> if I if I understand this correctly, it's actually so works both ways because it's just been used both ways right. for so, so long like people have no so idea confused. yeah uh but so every two <laughs> weeks we have a, a tech staff meeting and we try to see okay who's going to be in support next uh in the next couple of weeks and we say if, if there's a problem we'll raise our hands and we'll we'll sort of try to make sure that no one's work is going to be impacted by that uh, and it's it's getting a lot more stable and Surprisingly, as much as I thought that people were really going to hate being uh-huh. in support, uh, it's, it's been really beneficial and people are really willing to go into the shift because they, they get contact with real users. They understand the entire system because, yes, it's super mm-hmm. spread out and then you, you get a chance to maybe touch the API or understand how the API works or that it's a problem in the API then reach out to someone else so that's 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 been pretty good um do some people like it more than others yes yes we have some people who are like i can stay here for four weeks if you want me to um it's very relaxing work right yeah i, I also take it as a as a as a great for some people i put people yeah. on, on support because it's structured right it's it, it has a shift it's like from 10 to 6 yeah you'll be here and you're out and you don't have to like Sometimes I think we as engineers can't leave work without actually like closure, yeah. closing that problem off. Uh, when we have small support tasks that are going to take not as long or not complex, you will say like, oh, okay, at six, I'll head off and I'll, I'll think about this problem tomorrow. And the rest, th- that's how we, we handle with the rest of the company's requests. So if marketing needs something urgently, yeah. then they have to fight for it in the backlog. The same which is the same attention that the CEO gets. And me, if I need something, everyone is competing for that engineering time. It's made it very, very visible to the entire company. Um, so I think, I think I'm pretty sure some people just don't like it, right? Uh-huh. But um, I think from, from me being in support, in the past, I think we have a pretty good setup as, as, as much as you can, right? We don't have, yep. uh, we haven't had a lot of emergencies for downtime, like the, mm. the entire system going down at midnight and having to come up. And, um, hopefully we will, because I think it's a problem. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's yep. a, a sign of growth and uh, of, of just scale. Yeah. But I'm not looking forward to them yet. <laughs> uh so it seems like the support cycle uh, really does a, acts as um, a catalyst for fighting burnout. Is is that something you really really found? And do you like think about that in future decisions? Yes, I am. Uh, 
I've, I avidly fight burnout because I, I've been there. Yeah. Um, I actually, when it wasn't in, in my second startup, uh, running an engineering team, I got Bell's palsy, which is a facial uh, paralysis. My brother got Bell's palsy yeah. because of stress and burnout. Yes, it was stress. Uh, I was overworking in, in, in it really sort of almost drove me away from, from writing software. I can imagine. So today, when I see patterns on my team that uh, people who are overworking, we actually come up with, there's, there's a whole concept that we, that we now name Bora Bora, mm-hmm. the island. Yeah. So there's a GitHub repo and a Slack channel uh, that are both named Bora Bora. And if you're added to that repo, to that team, sorry, you, you can't work. You actually have no access to the code. Yeah. Um, and we've used it a couple times. Sorry. It's actually yeah. us telling you as a, as a member of our team, hey, you're working too much. Take it easy. Stand back. So that's like pure vacation time, or is that they're moved on to something they can, else they with can less watch work? Or? Tech talks. They can hang. It's cool. Sometimes I've done it on, over the weekend. I, I think uh, some engineers like, hey, no, I'll maybe I'll maybe put some code in, and it's and it's when you start seeing silly mistakes coming in. Uh, just people are tired. People are working. Everyone since since it's so hard in. in when you have a job that you really, really like mm-hmm. to stop you from actually doing these things. Uh, it's sort of like a protective measure. We, we haven't really used it a lot, but, but sometimes yeah. it's... It's nice for it to be there if you need it. Yeah, we, we say like, hey, it, and we use like a joke like, hey, if you, it's 10 p.m., you've been committing. If you don't sort of like go and have fun with your partner or your kids, you, we're going to put you in board board. And, it's, it's like your job, and this is something that many engineers don't understand. Part of everyone's job is to be able to do their job. Yeah. And if you are not taking care of your health, not taking care of your personal life or your mental health, uh, you are putting it at risk, your ability to, your, to do your job. Absolutely. And that is not doing your job. Especially doing your job well, uh, given security concerns, uh, exactly. I imagine you're, that's very important. Exactly. So it's your responsibility to be able to do your job. And it is my responsibility um, as the, the one who is in charge of engineering to make sure that everyone on, on our team is able to do their job. How has your relationship with burnout and your general workflow been in your transition to management and how has that changed for you? Um, so I, I accidentally ended up in management. Um, I ran, I ran, I think this is Ride's team as the fourth team I've run, but it's actually the second one of known I'm running. Yep. Uh, the first company where I worked at, they told me, hey, hire another front engineer and I did and then yep. I had two more and then I, but I never actually recognized I was in management. Yeah. Um, the second company, which is the first one I worked in New York, I knew I was hiring. I was the director of engineering, but I was actually more just hiring people and trying to figure out what we were doing. Um, at OnSwipe, I actually did step up to a leadership position mm-hmm. um, when, when things changed as far as like... Uh, CTO leaving and, and that sort of stuff, and, and that's when I, when I realized I was like, okay, I, I've, I've ended up in this position several times, 
I'm actually going to approach it the same way as engineering. I need to learn. I need to study. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and going back to your question, I think I had learned about burnout the hard way. Yep. Um, so I, I, I first tried to figure out where to start becoming a manager because I think as much as there's a lot of content on how to do many things with software, there's not enough people talking about software leadership or, 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 or engineering leadership in how to do it well. And um, ultimately in management, there's a lot that you learn by experience and mistakes. Uh, the, the biggest part of management is dealing with people and there's, there's no stack overflow for people. <laughs> so whether if it's Jamie and Ashley and they're both upset on Tuesday at four, there's nothing you can sort of extrapolate from that, right? If the conditions are the same and it doesn't mean, so you have to become a human. You have to have a, a lot of contact. And, and that's, that's how I've learned to handle burnout. I don't write a lot of code at write anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that's my job anymore. I think there's a lot of people who can do it probably better or hopefully better than I am yep. that I, that I do. And I think that's, that's how I hire. I hire people who can be much, much better than me at these things that they're going to be doing. Uh, but at this moment, I don't think there's a better manager than I, than me in our team, which is yep. why I have to accept. Um, so it's, it's become more of a balance with, with life, right? Understanding that uh, what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. I need to be able to do my job and, and that's how I've prevented burnout. One, one of the things I do is I take a week off every quarter where I go off Slack yep. and off GitHub and off email as a test of whether I am a good leader. Right? Mm-hmm. Can my team run without me? Because ultimately, I think my measure of leadership is I should be indispensable. My team should be able to function without me. Yep. Um, and... I'm setting an example to my team that I am resting. I am taking care of myself. I'm having a personal life. Uh, and I am also doing that as well. So, so that's also, I think one of the things I've, I've established lately, uh, I did, I did it last year. I haven't taken a week off this year yet, but it'll be in March and mm-hmm. it'll happen every quarter and no one can find me <laughs> except my boss. And when you when you're off, do you do, how are you able to get away from your terminal, from the computer, from completely, or uh, or do you find yourself doing a little bit of uh, a little bit of professional stuff? So I I can't I, I I like software a lot and I like writing software a lot, so I I don't really disconnect yeah. uh, as much as I should. Um, my wife has a startup, and on the weekends, I have her her chief technical husband. <laughs> Um, we work on, on that. I, I haven't worked on it a lot lately. We have like our first hire there as well, but, um, it's, it's, it's actually where a lot of the inspiration for the rights architecture came from. Um, so I, I, I write code. I think it's my responsibility, my responsibility to still be relevant as far as yeah. like software. Um, hopefully as the, as the right team scale, I can go a little bit more into, uh, sort of like 
day-to-day software writing where I don't block the team because I didn't yeah. make a commit. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I can't I can't get away from from my computer because I really like what I do. <laughs> yeah. On the subject of uh, staying in the um, in the flow of things and in the headspace of a of an engineer, um, what do you do to stay relevant? Because I imagine at least keeping up with trends and learning new paradigms is probably really important for your for your role. Uh, what kind of measures do you take to make sure you're doing that well? I think the biggest thing I do there is. Uh, Active participation in, in open source communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go as much as I used to, but uh, at least every month I'm going to a meetup in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very fortunate that we have a super active local community. Um, so I'm always going to talk, seeing, sort of like making sure that I know the trends of the industry, the trends of architecture. So it's 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 a lot of reading. A lot. Of, I I found both podcasts yep. and mailing lists extremely useful mm-hmm. because it's it's very curated so when I'm going to sleep I can start playing a podcast if it's too technical I don't do it when I'm sleeping but yeah. I do do it when I'm either reading my email or going over like random approving mm-hmm. uh, invoices or other stuff that I have to do as a manager um, and mailing lists are fantastic because I can just add all these things to my pocket list and then read it in Subway um, and, and, and sometimes experimenting some stuff mm-hmm. uh, on the weekends or, or in the evenings. I still read a lot. I think we've been we've been using Elixir at Ride um, since the beginning, pretty much, and it's something I've started to look at um, a lot more. Uh, how's that been? I've been really interested in getting into Elixir. I've done a little bit of reading and heard some podcasts, but I haven't quite taken the plunge. Uh, how, what have you liked about it? So I think it's it's a very interesting thing. I, I, I really enjoy that. It's so I, I come from JavaScript, right? Yep. Um, and it does things very differently, mm-hmm. but I find some familiarity in how you handle some processes and how, how you like manage functions, right? I, I've, I've become very used to functional JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it was it became sort of my style of, of choice, and I found similar patterns and similarities there. Uh, I I am not a formally trained engineer, so I think originally Erlang scared the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, as like listening, like really, like even Objective C at some point, it's like, what what is this? I I, um, I haven't put a lot of effort into it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a we have a, an entire system that we're that we've written that is quite critical at Ride, um, and I've made it my my objective. So we have one junior engineer at Ride, and she is uh, she has been writing Elixir a lot. Um, she's actually speaking in uh, Elixir conference in San Francisco, and she's so we're going to start looking at the architecture of this system next week. Um, okay, she's going to explain to me from her perspective how was this system written, yep. and we're going to start sort of like in this parallel education path. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward a lot. Uh, that's that's wonderful. It seems like you're uh, you're really doing a good job of maintaining the team, maintaining momentum at Ride. Um, that's awesome. Um, 
Uh, I want to talk about your uh, personal life a little bit. You are from Colombia, and it's really interesting that you've been able to take advantage of that in recruiting. It's like that seems like something that is is tough to have no experience internationally and and try to organize a team the way you have. Um, how long have you been in the States? I've been in the States since 2007, so that's going to be nine years in August. And did you come here uh, with a job in tow? Uh, how did you? How did the immigration process work out for you? So my, my story is it's funny. Um, mm-hmm. I came to finish my school. I was studying pharmaceutical chemistry in in Colombia, mm-hmm. um, and I was kind of bored. And my mother, my mother lived in Florida. I was bored at school because my, my, I went to a public uh-huh. school in, in, in Colombia that closed every three months or five months because of protests, mm-hmm. like just things in the school happens in developing nations. Um, and, and my mom said, yeah, you can come over. Uh, so I moved and it was the year where the economy started going to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother was in real estate, so it oh, sort of got yes. hit really hard. So I was like, okay, well... I think I'm not going back to school. I'm gonna, I'm gonna chip in at home. Uh, and I had, I worked in construction a little bit, like remodeling bathrooms and mm-hmm. just homes there. But then I, I had already cooked in, in my past life. Yeah, uh, I, I worked at a hotel and other places. So I, uh, I, I started working in a restaurant, an Italian restaurant in, in Fort Lauderdale, where I worked for a year and a half. Uh, when I left. I, the restaurant closed and um, because just no one was going there. It was just, <laughs> I think Florida was just very depressing. Um, but I was running the kitchen by when I left. So I was like the, the executive chef. And um, it was a really good experience in leadership mm-hmm. uh, that I'm trying to apply today. And ultimately, my, my immigration story is becomes quite complex uh, there. I sort of have to figure out how I could stay. Then my mother uh, was already sort of like a resident, but I was over 21 and my, it was really complicated, but we were finally able to figure it out um, by the time I moved to New York. So, and where did coding come in with all this? It's funny. I, I used to have a a punk band in Colombia (laughs) and I, and I did the, the MySpace page. Uh-huh. So I had to copy and paste CSS and, and I had always been, of course, the computer guy in, uh, in my family. So I'll fix the printer. Or the, but So I, I enjoyed that. And then, then I had to learn HTML. And when the restaurant closed for a couple of months, I saw, I, I sold office supplies door to door with a suit and tie <laughs> in the Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale summer. And I hated that. And I can't sell. I think I sold to three of my mother's friends. <laughs> the worst salesman in the world. Uh, and then a friend said, like, hey, can you build a website for my, my, my business, like for my, my office? Um, when I, and I said, yeah, sure. I'll, I, I've never done it. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll learn. I have nothing else yeah. to do. And I'd rather. Um, so his boss hired me. And, and, and I and I learned about some sort of like a CMS, which was at the time Joomla, and I started 
and it went really well. He referred me mm-hmm. to someone else. I I made the second website. I was like, well, I can actually survive with this. I was in, I didn't even know the kind of money that was out there. Uh-huh. Uh, but then I started a web consultancy. I was freelancing on Odesk uh, for like twelve dollars an hour. But it, it but it it was a huge learning experience. So actually, um, I remember the the time I would listen to a podcast that, that was called Yayquery. Uh-huh. Uh, that had uh, Paul Irish, Adam J. Sontag, uh, Rebecca Murphy, and Alex Sexton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would actually listen to it before, like when the restaurant was closing, I remember uh, I had already started figuring out how to, how to build websites and stuff. And I remember closing down the restaurant and listening to, to like that, that podcast. Um, and it drove me to like a community. Yeah the online community and I, and I like today they're all my friends, which is so mm-hmm. weird <laughs> that thing. Um, but, um, but it, I think it, it showed me that there was a community of, of open source and, and, and of people who are willing to teach others for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave me the skills to get hired at the first startup in Miami and which gave me the money to move to New York. Um, where I worked for the second startup and that sort of like kickstarted my career. So um, I've been really nerdy about it. Right? I've obsessed of learning how to build software in many, many ways. And now lately I'm obsessed of how to build organizations that build software. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I, I think the, the phrase I use, I use is I, I was, I was community taught, not self-taught. Yeah. Um, you know, I, tr- I think I've actually learned more by, by giving back like uh-huh. either, organize events uh, or speak at events or mentor others than by like just myself. And you've organized a lot of community events back in Colombia. Uh, how has that been? It's been a fun ride. Um, no pun intended. The, <laughs> I think the first time I was in New York in a, in a meetup, uh, I went to a meetup where Harry Heyman, who was the CTO of Foursquare, was talking about the problem that they had scaling MongoDB to 300 million check-ins, mm. uh, which I, it was like, this is a problem I've never been had. <laughs> um, but then I learned a lot about something that I could eventually encounter in my career. And, and I started looking at what to that level existed in Colombia. And there was, there was a meetup. Mm-hmm. But they were talking about not a lot of very deep technical things. Yeah. Um, so that's where the idea came from. Hey, I'll organize the first open source development software conference in Colombia from New York. It was just, I think if I knew what I know today, I wouldn't have started because it's a lot of work. <laughs> Uh, but I had, uh, I asked a friend here, he's like, Hey, will you be the first speaker? I'll, I'll fly you there. He's like, sure. Then I set up a landing page and I wrote to a bunch of people. Um, the, the funny thing is that I, I couldn't even at, at the time, uh, I didn't have a green card yet, so I couldn't leave the country. Yeah. I was hoping that I would have it by October. Uh, and that's when I set the date. It's like, oh, I'll probably have it by then. It'll be, and I, and I just, uh, put a landing page and started announcing it all over the place. Um, I lost money, which I did 
the year after and the year after and the year after. Uh, only the only last year we actually made money. Uh-huh. Um, but it also wasn't in like I, I'm fortunate and had a great job and I'm privileged enough to to to, to yeah to be able to 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 take that. Um, but it but we built a huge community now um, and and it's it, I I see it more as an investment because that money that I put into the community there is what sped up me building an engineering team of 12 people in three months of who I hired. Like I interviewed, I think 50 or 60 people who are all super, super talented. And, and I wouldn't have been able to do, I think a 10th of that if I had not done sort of like that investment in communities early on. So, um, it's been it's been a very rewarding experience because every time I meet people in meetups or in like when I go to Colombia, they're all very thankful, um, mm-hmm. and they're also inspired by doing more. So now we have I think we have ten JavaScript meetups in Colombia. Wow. Uh, we have the largest Spanish speaking community in the world of JavaScript. Uh, which uh, I think there's like 3,400 members now. Um, there's no other place in the uh-huh. like, Spanish-speaking world that has that many. And, and it was all kick-started because there was a conference, then there was the first Bogotá.js meetup, then a year later it was Medellín, and a year later there was Cali, and then it, it sort of like started snowballing. Um, so it's it's been a lot of work, uh, especially remotely. I couldn't have done it without the help of a lot of people mm-hmm. have uh, volunteers. People have volunteered six months to eight months of their time, yeah. of their free time, doing this and contacting sponsors and doing logistics and just paying for the taxi to go pick up 200 t-shirts. Um, and, and, and I think we all owe them a, a lot. Um, and they've kickstarted their own community movements in, in that sort of has has done a lot of great things. That's wonderful. That's inspiring. Um, I'm so glad to have had you on this podcast with me today. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you uh, about um, being a Colombian uh, technologist, uh, what is your opinion on the proliferation of the .co top-level domain in the United States? Um, it's everywhere, and it's a, the Colombian uh TLD, uh, what do you think about all that? I think it was a great marketing uh, play. Um, the the, the government, so that TLD, the, the old Colombian domain used to be, uh, what it was, .com.co, and it still exists. So, mm-hmm. and, and then I think by some uh, by but, but some people working towards getting the actual top level .co because you also have the .co.uk uh-huh. to yeah. um, at, at some point someone saw a really great business opportunity and there was a university the University of, of Los Angeles which was managing that domain mm-hmm. and I think the government put it up for auction for someone to manage it and that's where the .co company came from there's, there's an entrepreneur called I think his name is Juan Diego Calle he saw the opportunity of like the .co, like it's like yeah. the new .com, and they just did a 
an incredible marketing scheme to remove sort of the the, the Colombian, right? It's not yeah, and, and and make it a company, right? Yeah, it was dot company dot. Uh, that was incredible. I think it's. I think they sold the company for three hundred million. If I'm not wrong. Wow. Uh, or some or hundred six some something. It was over a hundred million dollars. Um, so it's great. I think it's it's fun to see it. You see T co yeah in, in the in Twitter in yeah Twitter shorteners and you see G co uh, which is used in, in Hangouts um, and everyone has a .co domain which is pretty cool. They're they're a little bit more expensive than .coms, mm-hmm. um, but there's I think it was a great. So I see it as a natural resource, uh-huh. right? It's, it's not something that belongs to the country, yeah. uh, and, and they just exploited it. And it's pretty. I think there's 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 money that comes to the government based on. on yeah. Well, I hope because if not, then it's. Well, at some point there was. If not sold, yeah. if if they don't get money now, at some point yeah, the government no, sold it. So, and, so that's that's. I think it was a very clever, very clever yeah. move. Uh, I thought to ask because I saw that your website has my nation of Canada's yes. uh, TLD, and that's what made me think to ask that question. It occurred to me that uh, uh, I hadn't got to ask about that because I don't think most people recognize like their nation, like other nationalities TLDs. They just think of them as just like .io is. Uh, I can't even remember. It's like an island in. Uh, um, it's a group of like group of islands and people just think it's like input output um and i saw i saw my i saw dot ca on your uh on your domain and i thought to ask you about the dot co um well anyway it's been a wonderful chat uh thanks so much um good luck with everything at ride ben thank you very much for having me this has been really really fun awesome <laughs>